anything, but 21% oxygen in the air is really not something that you should be putting into your lungs. And if somebody's telling you that, you know, even if they're just saying that this essential oil is going to be great and helping out your lungs, no, it's air that goes in lungs and anything else should stay out of them. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Aetna Foundation, an independent, charitable, and philanthropic affiliate of CVS Health. With the mission of promoting wellness, health, and access to high-quality health care for everyone, the Aetna Foundation dedicates its work to improving health in local communities and large populations alike. Hello, welcome to School Nurse Chat. In this first episode of a two-part series, we're taking a deep dive on vaping. I'm your host, Donna Mazik, NASA's Executive Director. Today, I'm joined by Alyssa Williams, who's a youth leader in vaping prevention, as well as Dr. Karen Wilson, a pediatrician and researcher on smoking and vaping, and Dr. Jose Terradas, a physician focused on healthcare leadership and equity. Also joining us is Liz Clark, the National Association of School Nurses, Nursing Education and Practice Specialist. And she'll share the perspective of school nursing and vaping prevention. Welcome to all of you. Hello. Hi. I'd like to start with you, Dr. Wilson. Share with us the short and long-term effects of vaping. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here today. So we are very concerned about the effects of vaping, particularly on adolescents. You know, if you think about what is coming from the aerosol from electronic cigarettes, there are particulates, there are chemicals, and of course, there's nicotine. We do worry about the short-term effects, uh, like effects on respiratory system and increased risk of asthma, which we've seen both with adolescents who are using electronic cigarettes, but also adolescents who are being exposed to their friends in cars in particular by their electronic cigarette aerosol, um, and they have a higher risk of having an asthma exacerbation. We're also definitely concerned about the long-term effects, many of which we're not going to be able to see because this is still a very new epidemic, and it will be you know 10 or 20 years down the road when we start to see some of the, the long-term negative effects from electronic cigarette use. Uh, and finally, we're really concerned about the use of electronic cigarettes as a nicotine delivery system for the adolescent brain. Teenagers have a brain that is really susceptible to nicotine. They have receptors in the brain that are uh, designed to be working harder during adolescence because of the growth that they're doing. And when those are blocked by nicotine, we really don't know what those long-term effects are going to be on their intelligence levels, on their attention, on their executive function. Now, we do know from some of the animal models that there's a real concern for this, that there may be doing things to the brain that'll have long-term effects. But as I said, since this is a fairly new epidemic, it's going to be a long time before we know for sure. And right now, it's you know really an experiment on the kids in our communities that are using these products. Dr. Taradas, I understand you're referred to as Dr. Jose, and we'll call you that today. There are students who say, do I need to vape every day to be addicted to vaping? Or sometimes they'll say, how do I know if I'm addicted? But you definitely don't need to vape every day to become addicted. Pretty much from the first moment that anybody takes the first drag off of, a, of an e-cigarette, the brain and the body are already starting to get primed to almost a ritual type of effect, which psychologically has its own potential addictive properties, but then you talk about nicotine like Dr. Wilson mentioned or 
other components like cannabis, uh, for example, which are also found in a lot of e-cigarette type products. In terms of withdrawal symptoms or how does somebody know whether they're getting uh, addicted or not, think about how you're reacting or how your body's reacting or your child seems to be acting when they don't have access to what they've been using. Oftentimes, the body finds it cravings, uh, which could be irritability, could be um, decreased sleeping or increased sleeping, uh, could be changes in mood. Uh, so if you're noticing a pattern, for example, of just behavioral differences that are pretty noticeable over a period of time, uh, it's at least something to consider as part of the addiction and withdrawal profile. And I'd like to bring you on right now, Alyssa, our uh, youth leader in vaping prevention. Share with us your story about how a student you know started vaping. The first time I ever had a friend that began vaping was actually my first week in high school. And that's when, you know, the vaping epidemic really started. So it wasn't something that a lot of us in high school really knew about. It was just kind of one of those, you know, why not try it? And I remember one of my best friends started using the first week because it was given to her by an upperclassman and the result of peer pressure just got to her and, you know, she started using. And at that time I had, I had started my first year in my first tobacco prevention program, which was called SWAT. So I already was kind of familiar with, you know, why I shouldn't vape and stuff like that. And I tried to educate her about it. And eventually I did get through to her, but it took a year. And after that, like, it just kind of affected her for a long time. She didn't know what to do in her free time other than vape. So when she quit, it was hard for her. She had to start picking up hobbies so she wouldn't do it again. And then after that, I was like, I don't want this to happen to any of my friends ever again. So I, I try to have the conversation early on with the rest of my friends, you know, to keep them away from it, to keep them educated so that they could spread the message as well. Liz Clark. What have you seen as some uh, subtle ways that e-cigarettes are being marketed to young people? Now, uh, marketing is a, a very powerful weapon that tobacco companies have used for our youth. Many um, youth have been marketed in the gaming that they do online, uh, social media sort of posting, and, you know, even uh, free products and things that have been given to them. And so the whole piece about, you know, not really understanding when products came out really that, you know, how dangerous they were. And so that education lag really impacted our students and the epidemic, you know, really snuck up on um, the adults in the communities and uh, the school communities, particularly the school nurses who are our frontline healthcare providers. Uh, Dr. Wilson, what products are being used most often by teens? So, of course, in the last couple of years, many, many teenagers um, have been using Juul and these other pod-based products. So, the, the pod products are things that you, you buy and there's a cartridge that attaches to a pod. It looks for all the world like a, a flash drive in many cases. They've got different designs. However, there's another type of um, electronic cigarette that has hit the market, which they call the disposables. So Huff Bar would be an example of this. And these are designed to be used and then thrown away. So you don't have the replaceable cartridge. And what has happened with the transition, what we're hearing about, um, because the, the federal government has now prohibited flavors, but they're only prohibited in the pod-based systems, not the disposable systems. And so we're seeing, um, at least anecdotally now, when we expect to see in the data, 
that there is going to be a transition towards the teenagers using the disposables because those are the ones that they can get into flavors. And the flavors are the things that really drive adolescent and young adult use. So the disposables and the pods, it's curious that the flavors are prohibited in one format, but not in another. Yes, it is curious. And it's a really um, a reflection of how our system makes regulations and laws where you have so many opportunities to have a um, a loophole where there is a product that just ha- doesn't happen to be mentioned. For instance, also the liquids that are sold in um, tank systems are also not covered under this particular regulation. And so I think teenagers, you know, they really need to be suspicious of anything that is inhaling chemicals into their body, anything but 21% oxygen in the air is really not something that you should be putting into your lungs. And if somebody's telling you that, you know, even if they're just saying that this essential oil is going to be great and help clean out your lungs, no, it's air that goes in lungs and anything else should stay out of them. And so, you know, I think it's important to understand why these things are still being marketed with flavors and sold with flavors because of the the regulations and the gaps. But overall, the message needs to be that teenagers need to stay away from these products completely. Liz, I've heard from school nurses that manufacturers are disguising vape pens so they can be smuggled into schools. Have you seen anything like that? Yes, I have. It's very interesting that our youth have very stealth techniques for vaping in school. And so, you know, we have seen sweatshirts or hoodies that have the vaping device either in the hood or inside the sleeve. Students are able to vape and then put the vapor also back into their sleeve. Um, and many of the, the vaping devices also, you know, can look like a, a flash drive or, you know, other common sort of things that a student would have in their backpack so that, you know, parents aren't aware what these devices are. You know, it's very common that they're carrying these devices with them and staff has really had to be on the lookout and educate themselves on what to look for so that they can be identified and taken away, you know, from students. And the other thing I think that is really concerning is just that the toxic components of those devices, it's a huge concern about exposing our youth to those and then disposing of them in a careful way. For more information on the National Hispanic Health Foundation's Stop Vaping Campaign, visit nhmafoundation.org slash Stop Vaping Campaign. Dr. Jose, we understand that it's not just teens that we worry about. In some homes, there are parents who vape and other family members who vape. What are some safety and storage concerns? Anytime that you physically have a vaping device in the house, the likelihood that it could fall into the wrong hands increases almost by an infinity uh, if you compare it to somebody who just doesn't. Therefore, the access component is different. And the reason that there's so much buy-in initially with vaping is that some of the first marketing language that came out spoke towards it being an alternative to traditional combustion inhalation uh, mechanisms and that it was a way to quit. So that was an easy jumping off point initially. 
Uh, and so that's why it's it's no surprise that traditional smokers uh, who are currently adults are part of this. I myself am an emergency medicine doctor, so I have experience in seeing when vaping goes sort of more horribly wrong. And yeah, I mean, we've been talking about more regulated products and products that have come to market being sold through companies that you know about. But one thing that's truly concerning, especially in certain parts of the country, is these bootleg vaping liquids that have very dangerous components that leave kids in intensive care and on ventilators because of additives that get put into the liquid solution. So regulated products are bad, but what doesn't get regulated at all is truly what's, what's very scary. Dr. Wilson, speaking of safety concerns, while we're in this COVID-19 pandemic, I wonder if there are some concerns about the novel coronavirus for people who use e-cigarettes. Uh, yes, Donna, that is a really important question and something that is being actively looked at. There was one study recently that looked at adolescent and young adult vaping and found that those that used both combusted tobacco and electronic cigarettes were more likely to have gotten COVID. Um, and so uh, we're still analyzing the data on this. Obviously, this is a fairly new um new epidemic, but we are we are very concerned about the fact that this may actually, that vaping may increase your risk for having more severe coronavirus infection. And the other piece that we're seeing is that there are some uh, interesting similarities between the presentation of Evoli, which is the um, electronic cigarette and vaping um, induced lung injury, which Dr. Jose was referring to, I think, when he was talking about the kids on the ventilators and the use of the products that have these, these bootleg products that have things in them that are, are dangerous. What we're seeing is that sometimes these presentations are fairly similar between COVID and Ebola. And so we're worried that the, um, the use of these products could increase that COVID risk even more. That's actually a very interesting point that Dr. Wilson mentions because that was a trend that before, you know, the COVID discussion was full blown in the United States, we were dealing with this e-cigarette associated lung injury where we were seeing it in states, mostly in the middle of the country, states where cannabis was not uh, legal. So folks were usually making it in their garage with vitamin E acetate was the most commonly uh, identified culprit uh, in terms of these kids. So it's it very interesting to see that that commonality, which most absolutely suggests a higher risk for those kids who are vaping, uh, smoking in times like this of a viral pandemic. Dr. Wilson, we know that vaping is an on-ramp to nicotine dependency. It has nicotine in it, and you can get addicted to nicotine pretty quickly. But some people have thought of e-cigarettes as an off-ramp to nicotine dependency. Can you help us untangle that? This is a question that we're asked a lot, you know, particularly by by parents and, and asking whether they can, um, you know, if they want to quit, quit combusted tobacco, should they start using an electronic cigarette? Um, and the, the data out there, there's been a number of studies, I think more than 90, if you include all of the observational and, and clinical trials that have happened. And there's still very um, conflicting information about how helpful they could be. I think there's one study that might have suggested when, if it were used as a clinical product, so that was something that was prescribed by a doctor or you know given not just 
when you go down to the drugstore to pick it up, that there was some possibility that that could be helpful. But overall, the use of electronic cigarettes and the way that our, um, that Americans are using electronic cigarettes today is not something that has been shown to be effective at smoking cessation. Um, and in fact, you, you know, either you substitute and you are still addicted and most people are still continuing to use both products. And so, you, you are just increasing the amount of nicotine you're getting because you're also getting it from the electronic cigarette or it doesn't work altogether. You know, and so I think that while as a pediatrician, I would never tell a parent to go back to using combusted tobacco if they've switched entirely to a, an electronic cigarette, I would never, ever recommend it as a smoking cessation device. What we recommend is that we, you know, connect parents with uh, evidence-based programs to help them quit smoking, along with FDA-approved medications that we know can help them quit. Very clear recommendation. Thank you. Just in terms of discussing real quick what we've been talking about as why it's not a useful cessation aid, I mean, think about one tiny little jewel packet could be 20 cigarettes uh, worth of, of nicotine, and it just doesn't smell. So I was on a train the other day and noticed it, well, the other day, well before COVID, I guess at this point, but I was on a train and, and noticed these kids just taking these drags from a vape pen in the middle of the train. And I thought to myself, there's no way you would do that with a cigarette because it just smells so much. But if it doesn't smell almost at all and you can sort of cheat and take extra drags, I mean, you've got to be very serious about quitting if you think that something that makes it that easy to get nicotine or cannabis is going to make it more likely uh, to quit. So very interesting in terms of what the reasons why it is not a smoking cessation tool. Alyssa, we'll ask you to have a final word. Just what you've done in the communities that you reach out to about this health crisis. In my work with, you know, tobacco control and youth advocacy in my smaller local areas, I really focus on educating youth. I understand it's, you know, once you start something, it's hard to quit. But I think it's very important for youth to want to take that control of their lives to understand that, you know, quitting is something that they want to do, not because somebody is making them do it. And always, in my experience, once they are educated and, you know, well informed on what's really happening and what is really going on when they're using these products, they take that initiative and they become advocates themselves. You know, they share their stories and encourage others to share their stories and use this information to really help create, you know, the tobacco free future that I envision, you know, and we start small. It started in, you know, my high school and then as a community thing. And hopefully I can continue my work, you know, in college. So that's really what I'm focusing on is the education portion. Wonderful. Thank you to our guests, Alyssa Williams, youth leader in vaping prevention, Dr. Karen Wilson, who's brought her work as a pediatrician and researcher to this space today, and for Dr. Jose Torados, a physician who focuses on healthcare leadership and equity, and Liz Clark, nursing education and practice specialist at the National Association of School Nurses. We really appreciate all that you've shared in this deep dive on vaping, and we'll continue the conversation another time. Thank you for joining School Nurse Chat. To view the American Academy of Pediatrics parent information on vaping, visit healthychildren.org slash vaping.